Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Calm Versations. Let's try that again. Hello and welcome to Calm Versations with the Boyce of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's Calmversant is Brian Martinez from Honey Badger Radio. We uh, hooked up after I put out on the internet that I wasn't necessarily concerned with covering men's rights issues, and I got some pushback from that because if I was going to do a series on gender, I might as well cover both genders. And I'd been reticent to do that. And Brian reached out and put me in contact with a number of members of the Honey Badger Radio crew. They are all very decidedly into men's issues and delineating the tensions between men's and women's rights or the problems that they face. So in this interview, we get into the patriarchy in a positive sense and feminism in a negative sense and try to find some middle ground between men and women for them to get together and get it done being, you know, life, society, and so on. Also a note to the viewer, this was originally aired on the Badger live streams channel on Monday, April 12th, 2021. And uh, there might be some video weirdness as I was trying to adapt to the live stream format, which is a little bit different than a recorded interview, but not that much different. Also, he was kind of interviewing me and I was kind of interviewing him. So it's a little different than my normal content. That being said, here is Brian Martinez from Honey Badger Radio. So, what um, what do you want to ask me? Can Can I just say one thing to the audience? Uh, every once in a while, people think that I'm looking at my phone, but I'm using this ancient technology called paper and pen to take notes. I'm not looking <laughs> at my phone, just in case anybody's oh, wondering and thinking he's I'm not rude. being rude. He's not being especially rude, guys. Yeah, you said in the introduction that these issues are connected to these issues. It seemed that you were saying that the way that we have our society in general. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this out and please correct me uh, to the degree that I'm off that the way that our society has been treating or conceiving of men and boys is somehow related to the societal issues that we're facing. I think we should kind of try to define what we're talking about with regards to societal uh, issues that we're talking about. There's there's the word called wokeness that I'm trying not to use anymore, but that's the one that most people recognize. Then there's a bunch of technical terms like critical social justice, uh, Mm -hmm. critical theory, postmodernism. There's there's all these terms. Yeah, cultural Marxism, etc. Yeah, cultural Marxism. Do you have a, a favored kind of term so we can start to like identify this and then kind of see how that's related to men's issues and, and boys' treatment? I think I think that maybe, and that's a really good question, but I, I think that maybe I, I bounce back and forth. Sometimes I, I say progressivism. Sometimes I say, um, you know, uh, fourth wave feminism or whatever wave we're on right now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that it like mostly emerges from that, but maybe the thing that I've been drawn to lately is social constructivism. Mm. Um, because that's the term I've been using lately because it, it operates from a, well, let, let me just, let me just try and lay this out. Um, so social constructivism or progressive constructivism, progressive social constructivism is, uh, this idea that all human beings are the same, not, not just, uh, you know, should be treated the same. Um, These are all sort of, you know, uh, values that we already hold in general, that people should be treated the same, we should be fair to each other, et cetera. But I think that social progressive constructivism operates under the idea that we are the same. And if there are uh, any differences between people, it is due to either discrimination or power differentials. And so a very blank, blank slate. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's like this blank slate conception of the of the human being. And so uh, because of that, uh, these things have to be corrected. And one of the many ways of doing that, I think it's usually the first uh, way that that progressives try to change things is they try to sort of socially engineer people to to not um, to not oppress one another by not being by by essentially you know abstaining from being exceptional uh so this way you don't it's like you're trying to protect the minority group by um like making yourself smaller so i i think that um okay so I, i'm i'm sorry that it wasn't uh, i use that terminology because i think okay. that that's where a lot of it emerges from it's basically uh social constructivism or um, yeah, that's basically how I see it. It's like engineering people's behavior. Um, yeah. You use, you can use, you start with education. You can use shaming, abuse. Uh, these, these are all different ways of accomplishing that. To so to try to recapitulate that or to encapsulate that, there is a conception of individuals as all the same, as equal. Uh, not just under the equal. law, uh, but equal in their essence, equal in their abilities, right. equal in their uh, wit, humor, intelligence, uh, mer- uh, merit, uh, work ethic, etc. All that stuff is basically the same to begin with, and every difference is the outgrowth of some sort of cultural shaping. And yeah. once you conceive of that influence of culture completely dominating the individual, then almost ethically, you are compelled to establish a cultural order that is uh, that includes a bunch of different tactics in order to enforce itself that causes equal outcomes that causes that blank slate to be continued and to be printed almost like a Ford Motor Company taking all these materials that are all the same, and then turning them into the same car over and over and over again. And every disparity of outcome is seen as some sort of, is blamed on some sort of uh, oppressive structure or imperfection in that cultural system. Yes, because it would be harmful to the, to those people who are, I guess, who exist in the, in the realm of the exception. So Hmm. I think this is, and this is goes, this goes to uh, how does this relate to, men and women, Mm -hmm. Um, 
and the way that it relates to men and women, I saw a interview did with a, a woman. I'm, I apologize. I forgot her name, but she was a uh, conservative woman that um, was speaking about how there seemed to be a celebration of the masculine in women, like an encouragement for women to be, uh, you know, boss ladies and to have like these to demonstrate masculinity um, and, and masculine traits like aggression and, you know, even like the sort of sex drive and stuff. And and that uh, but masculinity in men is considered to be toxic. Right. Um I think that that is an example of what's happening. So there is a, in in the genders, there is a desire to make men more feminine and women more masculine so that they are more the same. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of being encouraged. You know, you can find uh, no shortage of articles that suggest that, you know, men uh, should kiss each other, hold hands, you know, engage in behavior that I guess for whatever reason, the uh, writers of the article consider to be feminine. And uh, even though it's it, these things are, I don't even like using the terms feminine and masculine to describe these behaviors because okay. I, I, I don't think that they're entirely accurate. I think it's a little bit like the, the, it's usually the way that conservatives discuss masculine and feminine. Okay, so you got um, a pinch of the gender critical going on then. Yeah, there, there is. A, I do a little bit, but only because I think that we have historically attributed um, traits that are masculine with things that are a bit like negative unless they are properly channeled, i.e. unless they have the appropriate utility. And I think the problem, one of the main problems uh, that men face in, in like the larger umbrella of what we consider men's issues is that they are treated as utilities. So men are a resource, right? That's how that's how the world uses them. It doesn't matter whether you're on the um, whether you're a feminist or you're a traditionalist conservative. They treat men as a resource. They just use them in different ways. Feminists use uh, shaming tactics. So they, you know, say that men are uh, they're inherently bad. There's something inherently wrong with them. But men, you can, you know, fix you can cleanse yourself of sin if you serve us, if you basically become a utility for the feminist movement, an ally, Hmm. uh, if you prop women up, if you give them jobs, if you give them your resources, if you donate to our causes, etc. You can you know, you can uh, be forgiven for your sin of being born a man. On the other side, though, uh, from the conservatives end, they still see men as a resource, but they there is a desire or, or at least an instinct to honor them if they do so appropriately. For example, they'll have men die in wars. They'll allow them to uh, serve, you know, be of service to to their civilization as, you know, uh, people who do the toughest jobs, people who are our firefighters, uh, they are our first responders, etc. And so there is there's nothing wrong with still using men in that way. Uh, the, the, so it's not like there's a big difference, except that when while feminists use shame uh, to to sort of get men to um, serve them and be a utility for them. Um, conservative types, I guess, is to, to, to put it, they they offer them respect under the assumption that men earn it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's whipping a carrot kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But there's still a desire. The jackass in between those two. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I want to push back gently uh, that 
one criticism that I've heard from feminism about how society treats teaches uh, treats females is that they are a resource. They're a sexual resource. There's a, they are a resource for fecundity, for more human beings. Uh, that men treat women as a resource for emotional uh, labor or emotional capacities uh, for the maintaining of a domestic livelihood and for the rearing of children. So there is, largely speaking. I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing that we do treat each other as resources. So what's inherently negative or impactful in a negative way to be treated as a resource? Because we do always treat each other as resources. Yeah, so I'm glad that you brought that up. So I don't necessarily believe that it is a bad thing that we do that. The reason why I mentioned it is because I think that the ways in which men are impacted, um, and I got to speak in, you know, I don't like to speak in collectivist terms but there's really no other way to do it. Um, but the, the way in which men are impacted by our, you know, the way that we sort of set up our society and civilization, it does necessitate them to be a resource. And on top of that, men generally don't mind that. It's like they, they kind of know, you know, if a man joins the military, he understands what he's putting at risk and he knows why. So it's, it's I'm not really making a moral judgment against the left or the right. Um, I'm merely trying to, and this is all that we do on the show, is we try to show people the blind spot that they may have when it comes to how men are impacted. Um, unfortunately, that's what gets us in trouble with uh, feminists all the time, because their, hmm. their job, it basically depends on them showing the ways in which women are affected by things and a lot of times um they leave men out of the equation i would say most of the time and until very recently but that's when the toxic masculinity conversation rose up when it, it basically got to a point where men could not be ignored anymore in terms of uh the ways in which they suffer you know men are the majority of suicides they are um the majority of homeless they are the people who are at the bottom of the you know like they say the feminists talk about the glass ceiling where their their ceos are mostly men and all that but men are also below what we call the glass cellar where there's an overwhelming number of men that are living below the poverty line that are that have hmm. below average jobs they have low pay they have lower iq um etc mm -hmm. and so they're left out and what we what we try to do is we try to show people that okay. you know here's a blind spot but i agree with you i think to some degree our life is uh, composed of us making sacrifices, you know, sacrifices for and, and they could be of our time, uh, of our health. A lot of times we're always weighing things, you know, one way or the other. So um, when a man starts a family and decides that he's going to work really long hours so that he can get that promotion or so that he can uh, get that raise, you know, in the hopes that it will allow him to better take care of his family and, and send his kids to college, et cetera. He makes the sacrifice of not being around his children as much because he loves them and he wants to, you know, give them the best life. And when um, activists see that, all they see is the man makes more money. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's how it's sort of simplified. Right. So they, they yeah. leave out uh, all of these other factors. And I, I believe that if you don't have all of the, variables, you cannot solve an equation. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's what we're all about. 
Yeah, I think that on a broader scale, and I've been in conversations where I've tried to explore an issue and then accused of being imbalanced because I'm only kind of, I tend to, my bias shows up in the length of the amount of time that I spend exploring these things. Uh, but I, I try to be balanced because I'm balancing a greater conversation. So if you take me and you include me in, in other content creators, then I hope that there's a balance there, right? Oh, so yeah, I sure. see that that's kind of what you're saying, that you guys are focusing on men's issues. You get some flack for that because uh, a certain probably contingent of activist feminists uh, see you as a threat. But if you can win over women, you know, just kind of leave the activists out of the equation and just win over women to giving them access to the information that you're providing, then that kind of pushback kind of evens out or you can kind of discount it insofar as they aren't gunning for you guys and trying to cancel you or uh, negatively impact you. That, that's kind of crossing the line, in, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, well, they've been trying to cancel us for like, seven years at least <laughs> so and they and we've we've managed to either like survive all of their assaults or they we're too small uh to take notice i think mm -hmm. that uh it's a bit of both of those things yeah so yeah. i was thinking today about uh a really stupid wordplay but there's this gender is a social construct uh that kind of talks that you've heard about most of us have heard oh, about yeah. in the chat i'm sure everybody has uh, but i was thinking gender is a social contract and by that i mean it's not necessarily prescriptive but there are these relationships that we in engage with and they're fueled by you know lust romance uh, you know social pressure to get into a pair bond and then you have the pressure of having a child that comes from that and there's kind of a social contract that is made by every given couple every given individual hopefully it's fair within those two uh, people let's just say between men and women which is the majority of relationships that give rise to human beings there needs to be some sort of social contract between those and the way that they those two individuals uh, kind of understand well, the way in which they make the bargain of their relationship so that they both are well served as best as able depends on them both understanding each other. Men need to understand women, their tendencies, so they can kind of understand their partner in a general sense and then break that down in the, uh, you know, when you get up close and personal. And women are best served by understanding men's psychology, their drives, their desires, what makes them uh, feel feel meaningful and, and, you know, all those different things. So I think that there is a lot of room to just provide really good information. Statistically, you're talking about how men are being treated by the society, but also kind of generally kind of understand what it is to be a man and how men kind of shape up. And there's nothing inherently um, bad or, uh, you know, threatening about focusing on, on men, especially for women to get insight into men and then to go forward and build better relationships that serve them largely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also think that, you know, Honey Badger Radio is mostly operated by women. Mm. So uh, that that's uh, we do have a unique perspective. I just happen to be the guy that does all the tech stuff for them or most of it. And uh, I host the shows. So but it's most of the people on it. It was started by women and uh, they are the, the 
because they are women, it's actually gotten us a lot of attention because a woman speaking out for men mm -hmm. gets men's attention and women's attention, which is a little bit, you know, it's it's kind of ironic because we we unintentionally use identity politics to attract to talk about um, an identity that is normally not considered under the sort of progressive stack, which is men. Um, mm -hmm. And but if a woman is saying it, it's it's almost like a demonstration of women's social power, you know, which is something mm -hmm. that we try to bring up. So even though we have a focus on discussing men's issues, we know that you can't discuss, first of all, you can't discuss men's issues in a vacuum because whatever issues men face, women also face, whether they are mothers or wives or mm -hmm. daughters that are dependent on their fathers, etc., um, or just women hoping to form relationships with men, you know, to your point. And so we do end up almost always discussing the ways in which um, our blindness to the issues that men face, which are some are legal, some and some of them are social, or maybe most of them are sort of socio-cultural, um, mm -hmm. how those can affect women as well and why women should be paying attention. And then the ways in which the sort of current narrative, which is the this is what we're up against, is the larger sort of mainstream narrative, which is a feminist narrative. So it doesn't really matter if <laughs> you call yourself a feminist or whatever, but the sort of feminist framework is the mainstream narrative, that relationship between men and women. It comes from that. It, it goes all the way back, like a long, long ways. <laughs> and so we have to kind of at least try to drill down into areas that the prominent narrative does not normally find comfortable and that always upsets people but that's only because it's sort of like you know i guess it 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 threatens their reality or their perception of reality could you and i apologize for any of your audience that is uh not wanting to hear this but i would like to get kind of like your take on what is this basic feminist narrative so we can yeah. kind of get a good grip on it from sure audience. so at the at the center of all feminism, uh, the, 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 like no matter what wave you're talking about, no matter how moderate it is, um, at the at the core of all feminism is an idea that I think is disputable, highly disputable, and that idea it comes from the sort of feminist definition of patriarchy. So, what what do you what what is patriarchy? Do you know? There's different versions of it. Um, there's like this uh, demiurgical Gnostic conception of it that there's this evil God that's created a, a infinitely powerful oppressive structure that is kind of basically breaking down women and using men to exert itself. There's this it, it's kind of like this religious kind of understanding of patriarchy. Then there's like a very materialistic form of patriarchy that would go back in time and and show point out that men had most uh, discretionary power and ownership over resources. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's just say, like, I'm just going to throw out, like, you know, like, 1880s Victorian England or something like that. You can see that there's definitely some form of patriarchy going there. And I think that there's a, a bunch of different versions of that uh, in between. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of versions, but, like, the sort of general narrative that comes out of it, no matter whether the root is, you know, sort of Gnostic or if it's material, is that um, men throughout history 
have oppressed women or controlled their sexuality or otherwise, you know, exerted a, a kind of overt power over them at the expense of women and to the benefit of men. Even if it's only a small percentage of men, I know that the current uh, discourse around patriarchy suggests it's, it's more like a class-based patriarchy, so the most powerful men that's the when they say patriarchy hurts men too because it harms the poor men or the minority men etc but it still comes from the same base line of reasoning which is men above women and to the benefit of men to themselves and at the expense of women and when you have that as your central thesis which is an unproven idea because you would have to then assume that men did not love women until like the 1960s, you know, when the second wave feminist movement liberated women, right? And I, I, I don't see enough evidence for that. And the fact that we can talk about um, what, what is the truth about patriarchy. So I think the truth about patriarchy is uh, one, the original definition of patriarchy is simply about legacy. So, you know, uh, patriarchy is a man marries a woman, they have children, the woman and the children take on the, the husband's name. And the purpose of that is a promise to the husband, essentially, right? Your legacy will go on from this point. Hmm. We will be known as this, right? And I don't know that that is particularly, you know, uh, I don't think that's oppressive, I think that we're at a point now where people hyphenate their last names and they kind of worked around that and that that's fine. That's that's really not a big deal. Mm -hmm. But the, the oppression narrative, I think, is actually quite damaging because even if you want to, you, you can't really uh, have a tremendous sympathy for men if you're operating from the framework that men are inherently an oppressive force, which is what patriarchy assumes. So, or they're privileged, is, which is kind of oppression yes. light. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It is a light, like an oppression. Essentially, they have advantage. Um, they are um, whatever they do is basically just them demonstrating their power. And of course, women are always. This harms women, too, this idea of patriarchy, because it always puts them in this position of being on the back foot without acknowledging women's power. Now, I think the truth is something like uh, it's more like that social contract that you spoke about. I think that that is probably with, you know, and, and also doing so under the assumption that any and all exceptions to the rule are welcome, you know, um, but in general, I think that men make a promise to protect and provide for women. Women expect that men do that. And in return, they give them sexual access, they give them children, and then they go from there. I think that if people are left to be free to do as they want, that's how most pair bonding relationships will probably end up. And I don't, I'm not a traditionalist. I'm not going to say that this is like a prescription that everyone should have, but mm -hmm. I believe that people should be free to choose whatever relationship they want without these sort of harmful narratives that essentially create distrust and fear between men and women. Um, okay. And I think that that is the, because that's what first you scare women by telling them that men are all rapists and oppressors, which is what 
feminism says now, um, and there's no shortage of, you know, TV shows or films or public service announcements that talk about rape culture, that talk about men drugging women and taking them home and all of this other stuff. And then as a response to that, women, uh, because they are more prone to being risk averse and uh, they, they tend to, um, you know, be affected by these kinds of narratives, they, they you get the Me Too movement. And some of it is absolutely legitimate, but who knows how much of it is just born from that same fear that was already planted, you know, with okay. these scary narratives. Well, I think that the narrative that you described is being construed as harmful. And one problem with a very small subset of people who get enraged by this discussion or who flip out about it is that they think that just describing how things are is saying how things should be. Um, we're, there's ways of describing general terms not being prescriptive. And that's another problem I have with gender. It's like gender is real. It's emergent. It's natural. It's not a set of stereotypes that you have to be this way. You can break down the exception, but we can still talk about basically the rule without it being necessarily oppressive. So yeah. with that caveat out of the way, some would say that the protect and provide narrative of men is itself harmful because then women are treated as a resource uh, that is only there to nourish and to nurture uh, men and the uh, consequences of uh, men's little pokey things. Yeah, sure. But is a man not working a full-time job and... Uh you know, bringing home the bacon for his family, also not him treating himself as a resource or her treating him like a resource. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I it's think mutual, that there's a lot right? of, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of balances going on there that get obscured when that narrative itself is seen as harmful or is seen as oppressive where women aren't allowed the freedom to interact with the, you know, the, the professional world. And sure. since those things have been broken down, those barriers have, have been broken down, a certain contingent of very powerful, well-funded feminists are, it seems like they're going to stop at nothing until they have gender parity at every level of society, which I think is uh, wayward and itself kind of uh, difficult, but maybe that's not harmful. Maybe it's time for equality to reign, right? Well, I mean, if again, I'm all for people freely choosing whatever they want to do with their life. So if a if a woman wanted to be the breadwinner and the man wanted to raise the kids, I'm, I'm don't have a problem with that arrangement at all. Uh, but but we have to we have to talk about some mm -hmm. difficult things here with regards okay. to if we make those choices. For example, uh, women uh, men aren't the only ones that are trying to win women by, you know, uh, gaining status and resources and a nice car and nice clothes, et cetera. The reason why men do those things is because they know that women are attracted to them. So they, you know, there was a joke, I think, that Chris Rock used to say, he says, uh, you know, if I didn't need a nice house to attract a woman, I'd probably live in a cardboard box under, you know, the, uh, under the expressway. So, uh, and it's not to say that men don't care any at all about material things, but I, I think that it's a factor that plays in. And in addition, uh, women desire certain things from men um, mm -hmm. and they also have expectations. And so we, we I know that a lot of times these narratives that we find dangerous, this idea of the you know homemaker woman is um, is something that feminists rail against because they 
for whatever reason, and I'm not trying to um, be, let's say, ascribe any malice to this idea, but I think that they find for some reason working a job in a career field or owning a business or something is somehow a better way of living your life than raising your children at home. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that one is better than the other, but I think that the problem that you run into is if you allow women to have their preferences, they will almost always want men that are provider protectors. So you would have to, you can't just socially engineer men away from high paying jobs that require a lot of competition and all that mm -hmm. because they won't attract women. You'll have to also socially engineer women or try to convince them that dating lower status men that make less money or want to be stay at home dads is just as valuable. Mm -hmm. And that I think there have been uh, attempts to do that and it never works because the feminist narrative not only tries to have its cake and eat it too in terms of, you know, a woman should be able to do it all, have a job, a career and kids, et cetera. But it also convinces women that they deserve the best quality men, right? Regardless of what they look like, regardless of whether or not they take care of themselves, how much weight they put on, et cetera, you know? So mm -hmm. you convince women everywhere that they are all deserving of the highest quality men available, whoever they're attracted to sexually, and that they should pursue those men. But simultaneously, you um, tell them that if they, you know, uh, that, that they shouldn't, they shouldn't necessarily uh, want to be stay at home mothers or, um, you know, be a married partner, their man on, at the same time, right? So you, you run into mm -hmm. a problem where um, you have women that are looking for the top 5% of men. And mm -hmm they also um, are, are convinced that they want to, you know, uh, put off having children and be a career woman, et cetera. And the, then you end up with very unhappy women because they, and there, there are, you know, there have been studies done that show that women are by and large less happy than men. So at the end of the day, and I just want to make sure that everybody understands this, I'm 100% on board with people choosing how they want to live their life, how they want to work out their own individual social contracts with their partners, regardless of whether they're heterosexual relationships or not. Uh, none of that matters. Just know what you that what you're asking for is really what you want. Because if you are a woman that wants a man that's a stay-at-home husband and you're going to be the career woman – Hopefully you won't lose interest later because there are this happens. Women lose interest in their men. They don't find them sexually attractive because they're not, um, I guess, in that position that women typically do find attractive, which is that they tend to be the breadwinners, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but ultimately, uh, but go ahead. I was just going to say, ultimately, it doesn't matter how people work it out as long as they know what the consequences of that are. But yeah. I am highly interested in, family staying together if at all possible because that is a serious issue with a lot of fallout for men women and children it yes. seems like uh with I, I hope i'm not straw manning a certain aspect of activist feminism but it seems like the nature is that they will that women is it not hypergamy or hypergamy hypergamy, hypergamy is they want to they want to mate either equal but hopefully up they, they never 
tend yes, to go. Yes, they down. never go down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you, you'll find exceptions. Like there are, yeah. you know, for example, height is a big thing, right? Women want men that are taller than them, and it all comes down to women want to be with men that make them feel safe because mm-hmm. women tend to value security. And uh, a man that is, you know, um, appears to be mature, appears to have earning potential when he's younger or is earning, you know, good enough when he's older. He doesn't have to be a billionaire, but, you know, I don't think that women shoot that high. But um, but they, they want to make sure that the man is going to bring security and stability um, to to her environment. And she's going to he's going to create a comfortable place for her to have and raise children that are going to be healthy and so that's all that ultimately that's what most women want what it boils down to and men of course they want to meet that whatever that standard is yeah so it seems like nature uh is has engineered women uh to shoot even or up Mm -hmm. feminism is this activist narrative that makes you resentful of the up anything above you in a way in in, mm-hmm. in insofar as there's some kind of conflict theory or some right. kind of the guy above sort you of isn't marxism or actually oppressing you yeah the, the yeah. guy above you so so nature wants you to want that person but the ideology some form of it that i've seen makes you resentful of everybody uh, makes you resentful of the people that are above you in a way so it really clashes with that e- uh, equity based or equality of outcomes based uh, social engineering project that has mm-hmm. to either suppress or ignore biology and nature in order to provide happiness uh, at the end of this uh, great march uh, Right. So that's why it needs instead. The the only thing that 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 what feminists want to have to do is essentially take those men that are at that higher level and tear them down. But of Mm -hmm. course, tear them down to women's level so that at least they're if they're going to have to pair bond with men, at least those men are at the same you know level. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is, is that those women are less inclined to be attracted to that man now. And yeah, yeah, so so it does. it, It is. It, it is just seems damaged. like a recipe for disaster. Good thing yeah. that wasn't implemented at all in our culture. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but like, and it is actually, you're, you know, you make a good point. It is actually a problem that we're dealing with now because, uh, you know, they, they, there's always this talk about the wage gap. But the truth is um, women who are out of college, like just, you know, uh, fresh out of college age women on average make more money than men. And that, that, that uh, it's around those years that women are also at their most sort of fertile, you know, mm-hmm. for for baby making. And um, again, I'm not saying this is not a prescription that women have to do this, but this is one of the main problems we're running into that I think is a consequence of feminism, which is we are not asking anything of women. As a culture, we basically try to do everything we can to not judge them, to not criticize them. Or if people do, it's considered misogyny, you know, and and what instead we should be doing is asking ourselves, if we're going to try to build a healthy society, we have to not only discuss the ways in which people should be liberated or at least like we we could be like a little bit more flexible with what is considered gender roles for men and women but we also have to be honest about how that will change the perceptions between men and women and 
what responsibilities come with those I don't like to say rights because I think rights are very specific, but mm. with the kind of um, um, more liberal view on on the way in which we view men and women has to come with more has to come with responsibilities as well. So we can mm. either try to um, be more compassionate to men and women. Uh, I think that men need it right now, or we can also demand more respect from them. And I think Mm -hmm. that in some ways, that's where our big problem is. We have less love for men and less respect for women, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, What does compassion for men look like? What do you think that men need compassion for that would be valuable for them? And we're not talking about pity or handouts. No, 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 that, that's what I'm talking about. Like you, when I said uh, we have to be careful um, that we don't, that we have to remember that it would probably be better if we offered opportunities to, for both men and women to earn our um, respect as opposed to just compassion. But I think that men, let's, we'll go all the way back to before when a, a child is first born, when a, when a boy is born, the first thing that happens is we circumcise him. And that immediately does harm, right? And circumcision is still really normal in the United States. I don't know if it's like as common as not, but I know that I was very lucky that my parents didn't believe in it uh, for whatever reason. But circumcision is very common and it is a really traumatic experience for infants. I have a study here that Hmm. shows that uh, infant newborn baby boys, when they're circumcised, a part of them remembers that trauma. So we immediately do harm when they're born. And a little bit of, we wouldn't do that to girls, by the way. And, and I know that some people might say that uh, female genital mutilation is different um, only because the organ is different, but the trauma, it doesn't really matter which one hurts more. I mean, can we just not do that to boys? Like I'm just, you know, okay. and it's, all, it's also a violation. Like it's, it should be illegal, but we do it. So circumcision, that's the first act of cruelty, and we do it to baby boys right when they're born. Um, and then I think that we have, a, if you look at the way in which we treat boys in the education system, we don't accommodate for their particular needs of learning. Boys are not like girls. If we accept that boys and girls are different, um, mm-hmm. with very few exceptions, then we also would want to take consideration Boyd's unique needs with the kind of like their, you know, their reading levels are way lower than girls. Um, They're more like far more likely to be diagnosed with like ADHD and autism and things like this and and be medicated for it. Um, We basically have an education system that has been, it has shifted from what I would think was more gender neutral to a lot more uh, feminine oriented. So, you know, the, the, the kind of books that girls, that boys and girls read are far more directed towards girls' tastes and interests. And so their reading levels are much higher. Um, we don't, a lot of schools don't have recess anymore. 
So boys don't have a way to sort of get all that energy out of them. And that's why they act restless in class. And then we diagnose them with this or that problem. And plus, most of academia, I think it's something like 85% of it is very sort of feminist oriented. So it operates from a lot of these central frameworks, like these ideas like patriarchy and privilege, male privilege and toxic masculinity. And it's all coming into academia. Oh, and then I forgot something really important. Um, most boy, well, a lot more boys are growing up without fathers. And of course, the fatherlessness issue is a, um, it's a direct product of the sort of like sexual uh, liberation movement of the 60s. And the feminists were uh, essentially pushing men out of the home. They were offering women uh, a substitute. So they allowed women, single moms, for example, to marry the government, uh, get rid of their fathers. They were even encouraged to do it. The black community, for example, was um, essentially offered a Faustian deal that if there is no man in the home, they can get this much money from the state. So you have this single motherhood issue. And when a child grows up in a, in a single parent home, it doesn't matter if it's a single mother or father, but most of the time it's a single mother, like way, way, way more. Those children are far more likely to be abused. They're far more likely to be um, molested either by family members or step parents or, uh, you know, visitors or what have you, strangers. Uh, the mother can't do the job of both parents. So this puts the child in danger. They're more likely, the teenage girls are more likely to hit puberty earlier and become sexually active earlier and become mothers themselves earlier. Teenage boys, or they're more likely to join gangs and get involved with crime and drug abuse and alcoholism and suicide, or just a slow kind of self-destruction, which I think a lot of people don't see for example, someone who has uh, drug addictions or alcohol addictions, they don't see that as suicide, but that is what it is in a lot of ways. It's just like a self-destruction that takes, it's like a slow motion suicide over several mm -hmm. years. George Floyd is an example of that. Nobody wants to talk about that, but George Floyd was, he had no father in the home. He got involved with criminality quite early. He, you know, has, uh, children from different moms he didn't marry any of them he was addicted to lots of drugs and alcohol and marijuana etc and he is a product of this very thing and yet the only conversation happening around george floyd is one of racism which doesn't doesn't solve any of these issues like mm. the, the, you know it, it's like the wrong um What's the word I'm looking for? It's a bad diagnosis. Like the story of George Floyd did not start when he was on the ground with, with the cop on his neck. It started years and years and years before, and no one wants to talk about that. Um, so, you know, and I, and I have compassion for that. I mean, I grew up in Chicago in a very, very tough part of the city. And uh, I've seen hmm. a lot of people from my generation join gangs, get addicted to drugs, mm -hmm. uh, become, uh, you know, I've seen girls. I couldn't I couldn't tell you. I would say 100 percent of the girls in the neighborhood. And I know this is anecdotal, so I'm not this is not a statistic, but all of the girls that grew up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, which was like the roughest part of the west side of Chicago, they all ended up pregnant before they were 14 years old. And their lives were over. They just, they lived in Section 8 housing. They collected welfare checks. They would have multiple children because they were going to get greater tax benefits 
They would have children for the tax benefits and the welfare benefits. And of course, those children were more likely to be abused by her and any man that she brings home. It's it's a vicious cycle. Hmm. So the, the fatherlessness thing is a big one. And I think that it does yeah. come from a lack of compassion to answer your question from before. Okay. We yeah. need compassion from boys from the moment they're born. We need compassion for their, for their specific educational needs, which we don't have. And we need to have compassion for fathers for what they bring. You know, do you remember um, there was an episode of, I don't know if it was The View or The Talk, but Terry Crews was on. It was a few years ago, and it was around Father's Day. Have you noticed that every Father's Day becomes about single moms and mothers? If you if you look, there's there is hardly any Father's Day sort of messaging that uh, comes out that's in support of dads. Most mm. of it essentially takes single mothers and treats them like dads. So it's it's more that feminist thing that you know there's no difference between men and women. That means there's no difference between fathers and mothers. And Terry Crews had to make a defense of fathers and why they're necessary on this show. And everyone attacked him for it. And, and I think it, seemed, hmm. it would seem to me that if we, if we had a problem with mothers not being involved with their children, everyone would get on board that that should change. Because mothers bring a necessary, you know, they bring necessary things to a child's development. And fathers do, too. They just bring different things. But if you, if you hmm. make that lopsided, it does, yeah. you know, immeasurable damage. Yeah, so. yeah. I, the, and as goes, as goes men, so goes women. Uh, the activist contingent of the transgender uh, constituency uh, mm-hmm. uses Women's Day to talk about trans women. It uses mm-hmm. uh, just as just as feminism uses Men's Day to talk about women. Uh, so there's it, the progressive stack. It, it's just going. It, it's just ramping That's up right. now. That's and right. You see a lot of uh, a lot of the same rhetorical maneuvers that certain forms of feminism took are now being used by certain forms of trans rights activism to mm-hmm. denigrate, disparage, and, and then uh, deny uh, women's own existence. So it's a vicious yeah. cycle. Pulling back from that, though, if it seems like we do need a patriarchy, at least on the on on a narrative level, and by that I mean we need an image of the good father, the good grandfather, the good son, the good boy for people to aspire to and to uh, and to expect uh, from one another. Do you agree with that? And what would that be? What what would be the good patriarch? <laughs> I do what agree with that a hundred percent. I, I I would I would warn against this only because uh, for whatever reason the, the the cathedral the orthodoxy does not like it when you want to uh, help men realize their best self. Look at Jordan B. Peterson. Well, like, come on, everybody loves Jordan. Come no, on. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they throw him softballs every day, day in day out, just <laughs> softball after softball. Jordan Jordan Peterson and and I I think that what he says isn't particularly revolutionary or radical it's quite common sense things but men men what you're talking about the good patriarch right this narrative idea of the good man that is n- not a good ally okay that that is what's being sold be a good ally this is where male feminists come from and and yeah. I will say this you know male feminists 
only exist because they're trying to figure out the best way to serve women, which is what men have been doing since the beginning of time. Like that, that's all men want to do is be good to women. This is why this, I reject this whole idea of the sort of feminist definition of patriarchy because it just doesn't bear out. Like no society could survive if we were actually oppressive to women in the ways that patriarchy uh, conjecture presumes. So it, it wouldn't exist. So that means that we know men love women. And you know this because watch any uh, trend that women experience where they say, I want this kind of man. Let's say that I remember years ago, before I got married, obviously, uh, I was doing online dating profiles. I was looking at them. Uh, I was doing it for research purposes. I wasn't dating online. but For research. Research purposes, yes. No, but uh, around this time, the film The Hangover had just come out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, everyone loved Zach Galifianakis. I think it was his first uh, feature film or something. And all of the women on these dating profiles wanted a man like Zach Galifianakis. And all of them were trying to become Zach Galifianakis. So there's like a saying, you know, um, uh, men move in the shadow of women's desire. And this is something that we, again, this is this kind of feminine power that we don't acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Whatever women want, men try mm-hmm. to become. And so mm-hmm. if, if we have a, um, you know, uh, a constitutional republic, you know, and, and a, de- a democratic process for electing people and a Supreme Court and all of these things and a military and we have uh, birth control and we have the, 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 the cities built a certain way, at, you know, this kind of food, that how much of that is women saying, I would like that? I mean, and men saying, yes, I will get it for you. And I think that that is how it always was. And and this isn't me making Mm -hmm. a case that women are oppressors and men are oppressed, but that what, what women tend to value and because they are the sort of limiting factor when it comes to reproduction, men will do whatever it takes to protect. And any men who don't, for example, the men who exist outside the perimeter, the criminals and the rapists, et cetera, no one likes them, right? Um, they, they, are not, they are not at all celebrated. We punish them severely. Rapists get treated really poorly in prison by other criminals. That's how low they think they are. Uh, so, you know, even criminals generally don't go that far. Um, so I, I think that it's it's this is the kind of narrative thing I'm trying to break mm-hmm. past. But yeah. to go to to what you were saying. So, so okay, well, is, okay. So so oh, that sorry. goes to say what you just said goes to say that no matter what we want the good man to be, we're going to have to pass it through women. Women ultimately yes. get to decide. women ultimately okay. get to decide, and that's just it. Yeah. And so in order for now, what do we do if we think that women's tastes? should, you know, like be sort of directed for what's best for our society, because women decide based on what they need in that moment. Mm -hmm. So if you live in, and I'll go back to the hood for an example, we can look at two different kinds of women. A woman who lives in a very comfortable, maybe like a high class area where she went to a fine college, she's, you know, had both of her parents, um, she probably has multiple siblings, and she went to a good school, and she's going to get a good job, versus a woman who lives in uh, the ghetto uh, west side of Chicago in Section 8 housing and doesn't know her father, um, 
and all of her brothers and sisters are of other fathers. And this is not uncommon. I'm not strawmanning that. That's a that's a regular occurrence. What are those women going to select for? Because women are the gatekeepers of reproduction. They are the gatekeepers of sex. So the first woman is going to try and find a man that reflects her values and also has more earning potential or maybe the same earning potential at least. So she'll find someone of the same sort of general economic background, has good potential to raise more money. So she's going to select him for those values. If she happens to be religious, she'll probably try to find a guy that shares her religion because she cares about that as well. But a girl who lives in a low um a, you know, a low economic neighborhood that has a lot of crime, she's going to select a man for his ability to be violent to other men because she wants someone who's going to keep her safe. So her selection is going to be different. And we have to, um, we have to acknowledge that. And, and again, it doesn't seem unreasonable because if you live in an area that may as well be war-torn, with you know shootings every day and uh, people being killed or raped is a common occurrence, or at least it seems to be, and the police are not around because they've been told they can't, then women are going to select for men that are going to be able to do all of the things that uh, they need, which is to survive, right? It changes their strategy completely. So um, that is something that we have to also take into consideration. But yes, to your point, what a good patriarch is, is what a woman selects. And what a woman selects depends on, um, you know, the conditions. Yeah, her conditions. Okay. 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 Well, okay. But that being said, if you were able to make a uh, like some sort of kind of uh, manual for men uh, on good behavior. Let's just say you mm-hmm. want to make a value judgment. You think that this is probably the best value judgment that will do the best good for the most people. The most men can most likely achieve it. And the most women will probably find these traits most admirable or most desirable, let's say. And and you were able to kind of, uh, you know, give it out and then people like promulgate it like you're a prophet of something, prophet of the patriarch. If you were mm-hmm. able to like model that, what would that man be? And with respect to that's the ideal, but where do you think society could reshape its uh, attitudes towards men in order to uh, facilitate the realization of this ideal? I think that men... What makes a good and, man and how do we yes. make him? Yes. So I think what, what, makes, what makes a good man, this is a, this is a really tough question, but I've been, I've been exploring this. Um, I've been reading about a lot about manhood. I think that what men, where men are happiest is in a place where their competence and their merit are honored, right? And um, I think that where, where men, what men desire more than anything is, is I think, liberty. That, that, I think, is something that men cherish, okay? Uh, the, from the moment they're boys, they're testing their limits. They want to see where their bodies can take them. They want to find out if they can, like, make that jump on their bicycle, you know, that kind of thing. They want the freedom to do it. Now, of course, when they're little children, we give them that. A father does. But they there are invisible barriers that the child doesn't know about just so that he doesn't kill himself and so that mo- mom doesn't worry too much. So um, I, I think that 
we are always, and you, you may notice that this, this is actually a conversation that happens in the sort of political sphere as well, that there's always a discussion going on between the importance of liberty versus security. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's not a mistake that there are two wings. There is liberty and security, and there are two sexes. There are men and women. And the, mm-hmm. and the reason for this is that we're always trying to figure out where the best position both of these ideals is and it is something that happens between the feminine and the masculine and when i say the feminine and the masculine i'm not specifically talking about men and women because men have a feminine and women have a masculine as well and this is the thing that peterson tries to talk about he tries to um encourage people to foster their masculinity and he says this about women as well because you know, feminism, again, because men and women are connected, you can't harm one without hurting the other. Uh, feminism has harmed men, but it has also harmed women by conditioning them to essentially see themselves as having no agency and being victims. And that's ultimately what makes women unhappy, because if they know that they can affect the world and that their actions matter... And that uh, the way in which they raise children, the way in which they select men, the way in which they, you know, carry all these things out in their lives has a rippling effect on everyone around them. And then they take that into consideration. It brings a great deal of satisfaction to a person because it means what I do matters. And men are already aware of this. In fact, they are probably being given hyper agency where it's like even things you didn't do, you did because you're a man and you're part of this larger collective. So. What I think men want is to be useful. That's what a good man is. It's a man who has done, who is doing something. Most of the time, it's hmm. in cooperation with other men. Because this is another misnomer that feminists put out, is that men are inherently competitive. There is a competitiveness, but in general, healthy competition exists to make men stronger so that they can operate as better parts of, the, of a cooperative group, right? So when hmm. men are working together, there is probably nothing that they can't accomplish but um uh, a good a good man basically is a is a is a a person who is useful in a constructive way to their society to their family to their wife to their children and to their community and um he is honored for that his because he's making a sacrifice it's like um i you know well he's sacrificing his liberty you're yes. saying that he's compelled to, some, yes. to be to be free, uh, but he sacrifices that in order to be, I guess, real and stable and appreciated. True, but there is freedom in discipline, and I know it seems like a uh, contradiction. No, that's very think, Orwellian. But go on. No, no, no. I think <laughs> I think that when you when you have discipline, um, you you basically bring enough enough order in your life that you can then feel free to operate because you can't, it's mm-hmm. like um, if I just told per, a, a man, you can do whatever you want and that's what freedom is. And that man decides, well, I'm just going to drink all of the alcohol in the mm-hmm. world. Uh, he's free to do it, but is he going to be happy? He's probably not. He's, you know, it's, it's, it's about, uh, I think that for men, um, but maybe in general, discipline equals freedom. It's mm-hmm. it's like the the um, they want to build. That's what men want to do. They want to well, build. They yeah. and and that requires uh, discipline. Yeah, and that's what makes them happy. And to see their children, you know, take after them and uh, be. It's just like, what do you want to? What do you want? Who do you want around you on your deathbed? 
Hmm. I, I mm-hmm. think that everybody should think about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and why are they there? So you, you think that men being useful is a good thing. So men being a resource then is actually something that gives them meaning. I think that's what men want. This is why I don't try to um, suggest that men should not be resources. I know that because that's what, okay, so this is how I think uh, men's issues and, and feminism are very different. I think that feminism tries to make the argument that women should never, ever be treated as a resource and that they are under the current system, but they should never be that way. They should be completely liberated to do whatever they want. And they should, and this is very important, they should be free of judgment. So no matter what they do, we're not allowed to judge them. We're not allowed to have an opinion on it at all, right? Well, see, um, it, 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 again, once you, this is a little bit of a straw man, but it, it's apropos, I think, is that the, uh, you know, you end slut shaming and the next thing to go is the kink shaming. So no longer can you regulate women's behavior, but eventually you, you, the Pandora's box is actually men's, because uh, men, men have a variety of different, uh, you know, the, the, the distribution of men goes into the very virtuous and the very vice-laden. Uh, mm-hmm. So once you start to uh, disallow the pressures that regulate people's behavior, you yeah. kind of open the floodgates. It goes all the way down. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that women are just as bad when it comes to their vices. I, I've known women way kinkier than me. So, but um, I, I, you know, I'm wait, wait, did you learn this from your research? Adults. No, no, that was way before I was much younger. But uh, no, I don't. I, yeah, that uh, that's one of the things right there. Though we do tend to see hmm. um, degeneracy as a male area uh, and, I, and there are definitely men there and, and maybe degeneracy is not the right word, but you were talking about these sort of like, you know, these sexual appetites that we would consider to be fringe. Um, yeah. Women. absolutely. Well, okay. I was just saying that, that but, once you start to disrupt the so-called slut shaming is actually yeah. a part of an entire uh, network of maintain regulating humans behavior uh, mm-hmm. through shame, I guess uh, through guilt in order to provide the best societal result. So the shame yeah. might sting on a local level, but if you get rid of shame in society, you, you then eventually end up in a shameless society where mm-hmm. a lot more corrupt things uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Are, you get their foot in the door. Excuse. Right. Yeah. This is how yeah. you get maps. And uh, but yeah, yeah. like uh, I, I like think Google Maps true. or Apple Maps, which no, which do you prefer? You know what I, you don't know what maps yeah, is? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I don't want to go there, but that's how you yeah. get it. But uh, the the thing I was going to say is, um, yeah, that's true. And uh, of course, they're not aware that that is where things go. But um, the, the, the the there is a pro- and this is the thing. There is a problem with not allowing judgment because it, it's not only that it you know you're just going to move the overton window further and further out into the fringe mm-hmm. but it, it's also i think that on some level a kind of social judgment it doesn't have to be legal we don't have to put things in the law we don't have to like you know get into like blasphemy laws or anything like that but if there is a a kind of social control that says um uh, maybe this kind of behavior is unhealthy and we shouldn't celebrate it. doesn't mean that it can't exist. It doesn't mean that we need to ban it, but we should probably not be celebrating this. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it may, at least um, on some level, 
it's probably a good thing that we have judgment and because a lot of times it is for uh, a person's well-being you know like to say uh maybe you shouldn't eat like cupcakes every day and and put on 300 pounds because you're going to get sick and you're going to get diabetes and you're going to have all these health problems mm -hmm. and and you know maybe if you cover your body in tattoos uh, from head to toe, and again, I'm not I'm not against these things in moderation. I just know that you know when these things get excessive, like anything can get excessive. It can become unhealthy, and I think that the only the 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 first line of defense against unhealthy behavior is probably judgment. I can't I can't think of anything that's well. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with being shamed, but then everybody has a sense of shame that regulates themselves. Everybody it's called a mm -hmm. conscience and actually it's yeah. a very good thing. And though it, it's not pleasant to be embarrassed by your behavior, it will prevent yeah. you from doing that behavior in the future. And some behaviors we could say, well, we don't need to shame certain behaviors and, and there will always be, again, it's, it's a social contract where we figure out what's good and bad for society. And it has to happen in a dialogue. The problem with activism is that it always goes too far and it speaks in absolutist terms. And then, uh, you know, and then it starts to, you know, what Chesterton's fence, it just starts demolishing the fence because the fence is, is somehow a part of this normativity that we need to, uh, yeah. let go of, but we don't, really understand why the fence is there so yeah we need to so to kind of wrap it right back around to social constructivism there is an element of society of culture especially in a liberal society and i mean that classically where we do have input and we can barter with the mores of society we can there's a push and a pull about what is regulated and what's unregulated in our society. So there is some form of social constructivism. There is some form of pressure that comes from culture that we do need to pay attention to and yeah. then kind of in, engage ourselves in, in pushing back against it because we do want to produce, we understand that culture does produce individuals to a certain mm -hmm. degree. Not entirely. Mm -hmm. I'm not going for like the complete plain slate. But when we talk about you know, inspiring men and women to be the best that they can be and to be honest with what they want, you know, that that's a part of that's a social constructivist project to a certain degree. At least it's a cultured product because eventually you're going to have to do eventually you're going to want to make a movie or tell a story or embody it in some sort of cultural artifact in order to really communicate the richness of those yeah. values. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I think that's all true. I, I, I believe that when it comes to because I mean, we we do engage on some level in um, encouragement of behavior, like as yeah. a as a culture, right? We encourage behaviors and we discourage other behaviors. But but I think when it's occurring naturally, it's usually from the bottom up. It's like uh, you know, individuals, families, uh, extended family, communities, etc. They will encourage mm. their own cultural values, and they want to see yeah. that in other people. But the sort of social constructivism, as I use it, that usually comes top down. That's basically it's um, more astroturf and, than grassroots. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 coming from intellectuals and uh, academic elitist types, and they're basically saying this is the best way to build society. And I know this because I'm the smartest and most educated person, and yeah. this is why you yeah. should do things as well. But that that's not that's that's unnatural. It, it, people, some people are going to try and force it, but it doesn't work that way. It, and I think that we can't, uh, because another thing about social constructivism is 
um, because it comes from the top down, it doesn't usually consider the evolutionary or biological factors in individual human beings um, and their behaviors, their tastes, et cetera. Whereas the more bottom up stuff usually springs naturally from those mm-hmm. evolved traits, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I do think that there is a difference there, but I, I take your meaning. I mean, like we're we're not we're not apes. Well, that um, difference gets really fuzzy in the internet uh, age, where you yourself could just be talking from the bottom up. But if you had the significant right platform, then you all of a sudden you're doing a top down thing because your voice gets so big. So it's it's really it's really kind of hard to tell what's bottom up and what's top down, and you kind of have to throw your words and your ideas out there, and either they glom onto other people or yeah. not, and which is different than what you were talking know. about with enforcement. It's not enforcement, right, it's right, right. Yeah. So like, yeah, I just put my ideas out there, and if they're if they don't work, um, then people just won't attach themselves to them. And I'm sure that there have been ideas pitched all throughout human history that we have, by and large, tossed out because they just didn't resonate with us as human beings. Because ultimately, yeah. we are not rational, at least not completely rational. Um, people act on their emotions most of the time, and they usually just do what feels right. So, And that's okay, because mm. again, good, at the end man. of the day, all I want is for people to be free <laughs> And, and, you know, free to live the life that they want. So this is the reason why I, well, first off, I don't like mm. the idea of liberating people from their gender roles. I think that's how uh, not just uh, feminists, but some men's rights activists, the ones that go back to the days of the uh, feminist movement, they just they say, well, if we liberated women from their gender roles, we should also liberate men from their gender roles. But a lot of that always comes across as a little bit top down because Allowing people to live their life the way they want to isn't necessarily liberating them because, as you know, by the uh, sort of um, Norwegian, I think it was in the Norwegian countries of Nordic countries where they have created supposedly the most gender equality. There has also been the widest gap in, you know, um, choices for men and women in terms of their career choices and the economic differences and so on. So Mm -hmm. if we make people free, just don't be surprised if they end up falling into groups. That's, you know, but I think that that's that's important, letting people live their life the way they want. And in order for us to be free to live our lives the way that we want to, on some level, we have to look at the way in which the world is. It goes back to my old statement before, you cannot solve an equation if you don't have all of the variables. And so this is why I bring up, here are issues that men face that no one hears about um, the reason uh, and, and the because nobody hears about it we don't talk about solutions and because we don't talk about solutions then you always have like this massive blind spot mm-hmm. in every culture all over the world all the way back in history that no one is discussing and because of that we only try to address that which we do see and it always comes down to women you know you you, you talked about uh, the progressive stack are earlier how you know uh women have taken over father's day and trans women have taken over or women's day or mother's day or whatever but but the the group of people that always gets left out of every single discussion around the progressive stack is men in a 100 of cases because men are the common factor in patriarchy and because of that they can never be acknowledged think about Hmm. black lives matter okay black lives matter is an organization as an organization not the sentiment The organization Black Lives Matter uses the deaths of black men to redistribute money to black women. 
while claiming that black women are the ones that are in real danger. And it's not because they die more often. It's because they're women. And so on the progressive stack, Hmm. even if black men are dying far more, which they are, and most of them being killed by other black men, but, but that's because it's a product of the fatherlessness problem that we talked about before. Oh, I um, thought it was about whiteness and patriarchy. <laughs> well, it is about patriarchy too. See that that's what I'm saying. So like yeah. black men are the ones dying in, in crazy high numbers. And they're also being raised without fathers. They're being abused by their mothers. They're sexually abused very often. There's, you can find countless stories of rappers that grew up in like the roughest parts of, of America who had been raped by their aunt or raped by a uh, juvenile hmm. detention uh, facility guard who a lot of them are women. And there is a big problem with, uh, you know, guards, the female guards raping boys in these juvie facilities, right? No one talks about it. Um, they, and they, they come out damaged and and broken and then they get addicted to drugs and alcohol and then we hear about them much later either dying you know in an altercation with a police officer or like dmx he just sort of you know went into a vegetative state and then died later and everyone just thinks oh man drugs and i was like yeah but he was abused by his mother he was addicted to drugs because of like all of the depression and everything that he had to deal with and maybe on some level somehow he also managed to pull out a really successful rap career while all that was happening and when he dies people are just like yeah drugs man and it's like no no <laughs> do you see the common thread of abuse to boys that are growing up without fathers this is the problem or at the very least i'd like us to talk about it so if there is another problem if it is white supremacy i can at least shake out all of the other factors and then we can look at what's left over you know, that, that I don't I don't assume to know everything, um, but I do know when there are things being left out. Mm-hmm. What's uh, this is this is one of those stupid interview questions. So get ready. OK, what's uh, a, I, an idea, an opinion or a position that that has changed working with Honey Badger Radio over the last seven years? Huh. What's something that's kind of surprised you about uh, being involved in this work that that? about how you look at things now as opposed to where you were when you first started? Well, it's probably everything I've said here, but but (laughs) no, I I, I think what, uh, so before I got involved with HBR, um, I had a very good friend that went through a terrible, terrible divorce that no one saw coming. He met this girl, he fell in love. He was, he was so, he was a romantic, right? He met this girl. He fell in love. He they moved in together probably within six months. And then he started paying her way uh, to medical school. I mean, she was going to medical school, medical school, but he didn't want her to be in debt because they were going to start a life together. And he married her and everything. And so he paid her way through medical school. And the day after she graduated, she left him and divorced him and took a bunch of the, you know, half the money and all that. He had to sell his house. His life was ruined. And I could not figure out how someone could be so callous as to do that. And so I wanted to understand. um, And again, I don't think that she's typical of women, but what I, I wanted to understand what could make someone do that. And, and, what I, I learned is, and I think that this is the real big thing that changed for me. Um, ironically, I got married after this, but what I learned is uh, that it's, it's not that women are 
you know, evil or uh, wicked or willing to do these things because it, it makes them happy or they have fun. But we have systems in place. We have institutions like divorce court, like uh, child custody and alimony. Family law. Yeah. Family law, right? The family law system, which is built to benefit women. Like men almost never benefit from these systems. And it's like putting a loaded gun in a room between two people, hmm. but only the woman can use it. And I, I think that uh, that was probably the most eye-opening thing because, you know, even in the cases, in in because the divorce is something like 50% now, like so half the time, you know, um, I think that that was the most eye-opening thing because what it showed me was that we have a system that enables bad behavior. And so because of that, it encourages it. So it's not it's not to say that it makes women like it does it's not to say that women are bad and this like brings it out. It's, well, to it's say an that incentive we, structure. Yeah, we incentivize bad behavior so we create bad behavior and then I learned uh beyond that that most other systems such as the welfare state are the same. They incentivize bad behavior, they incentivize single motherhood, they incent and by extension they incentivize the abuse of children, etc. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that was probably the, the most eye-opening thing. There's an aspect, this might sound conspiratorial, but there's an aspect of a version of patriarchy founded on liberty, personal responsibility, and then being a resource that's then honored by uh, the immediate people who are benefiting from your work. There's an aspect of that that is a huge threat to the state systems that you've just described, uh, especially welfare and uh, getting people to be very dependent on the state. Uh, and I think that I don't think that it was conspiratorial in the sense that there was this decided push for this, but I think that it it dovetails the erosion of, of men's uh, liberty and personal responsibility, and then the increase in the managerial elite, which is formed out of all these bureaucracies that require buy-in your entire life to be a part of the system. I think it just dovetails in a way. Uh, there's something very emasculating. For me, and I really apologize if this is offensive uh, of the, the corporate structure and the state structure. There's something that mm, I, I, you know, I, I need to draw that back because I think you can be a, a good man, a real man and, and do really good work working for the government and working in these organizations. But it might be the case that certain social strata of it uh, rely on men um, being devalued in order to influence uh, society on a certain way with welfare. Yeah, it does require us to treat um, men a certain way. And, and I think that in particular uh, government, uh, it attracts a certain kind of person. So yeah. you, you will find men that are, you know, and women that are involved, uh, you know, for good reasons. But I think that um, most people who are attracted to positions of government power, which is a kind of unaccountable, you know, un potentially unlimited, if you can just stay in office long enough, you're going to attract a certain kind of person um, that is just doing it for for the power. So, but to, to about the system, I do want to add uh, something else, because you mentioned that men's declining responsibility and um, what was the other thing? Was it authority? As well, well? I guess their authority and then the respect that they earn from providing resources. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is that um, men are still providing resources. So that, it, it doesn't matter if they're in a relationship or not, because men pay the net 
majority in income taxes and all the other kinds of taxes, their business taxes, their property taxes, they, they pay something like 80% of all of the taxes that go into social programs and military that in the social programs basically ends up getting redistributed right to women who uh, receive, and this is an interesting thing because they never bring this up. They talk about the wage gap, but they don't bring up the fact that when it comes to uh, social programs, women are the net beneficiaries. They 80% of all of the taxation, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. men pay by and large into. And this is because, you know, again, at the early ages, men and women are making about the same. Maybe women earn a little bit more. But later, most of the time, women, they quit their job to raise families and men continue to work. So in the over the long um over the long term, they end up paying more into it. So they're either paying money to women, whether they're dating them or not, even if they don't even know their name, or they're paying into the military, which is an institution that puts men into a meat grinder. So, uh, and again, men are they they can be made aware of this and they'd be fine with it as long as what they're doing is like the right what they think is the right thing. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. That whole argument for paying uh, women for unpaid labor at home. It just seems it's I I understand the appeal to it. If you're a woman, you're like, yeah, of course, I want to be paid for cleaning up and doing all this stuff. But Mm -hmm. basically, you're just inserting this huge bureaucratic apparatus between a man and a woman, which is already wedged apart by the bureaucratic apparatus. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that and that's the thing. Like, I want to go back to uh, liberty and security again, because I think that Mm. this is where I'm my mind is right now. Uh, with these conversations. I've been doing this for a while, but what I've been thinking about a lot lately, uh, aside from what masculinity is, what manhood is, because it's not simply um, a series of masculine and feminine traits, and it's not simply, obviously, the physical presence of being a man like a biological male, but there is something narrative about being a man. And this is something that I think a lot of men want to... They, they connect with, this is why, again, Peterson is so popular, because he puts masculinity in an easy-to-understand-and-digest narrative framework that a lot of men not only relate to, but they're very attracted to. They're drawn to it. I think women and are attracted to it, too. I think so, too. I think that masculine, there are women that have a masculine side that they're... they're no, I, I also to. think that women are attracted to men who, are, who oh, adopt absolutely. Peterson's thing. Yes, I think yes. that that's part of his appeal. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, But the the thing that I've been uh, thinking about a lot lately is this concept of liberty and security. The way that the current system is set up, men pay to make women feel secure, whether they want to or not, through taxation. Um, And it goes into various programs. And of course, most uh, feminist activists are only asking for more of men's money when they want free, you know, uh, reproductive health care, if they want free um, maternity leave or paid maternity leave. They want all Mm -hmm. of these these ways to essentially get more of men's resources directed to them. And they do this through the state. Now, of course, while that's happening, the state takes a cut and at every level, all the red tape, they all get their cut. So even though men are paying into it, what women get on the other side is probably just a fraction of what was initially paid. Yeah. So under that model, men get the illusion of liberty 
it, because, you know, we still live in the freest country in the world, at least one of the freest countries in the world. And so they feel relatively free, um, even if they have some complaints about how high taxes are or whatever. And women get an illusion of security because they're getting enough money to survive from the state, you know, to to uh, they get a home mm. and mm. maybe they get mm. a cell phone or something like that, but they're not actually able to thrive and they're not really safe because they are raising their children without a father and they're putting their children in at risk of a lot of factors and they mm. themselves can never rise out of that hole if we're talking about the women who are getting the most from the system. What's what's ironic or not? Uh, what's interesting about this is if you took that out and men and women could come together, like in an, in an organic and um, voluntary way to form a union and raise families, women and men would get both of the things they want. Men, women would get the security and the the comfort and the uh, stability that the man could provide without the state. Right? If, if I mean, this is a bit of a pipe dream, but if you could like say eliminate the welfare state completely and it was just like men and women mm. coming together like in some mm. uh you know smaller societies developing nations or maybe even hunter gatherers or something um they would it, it, women would get the security and the stability directly from the men in their lives and on top of that they would get more because that man would be a father to her children and provide them with everything that they need on top of what she brings to the table and uh, and at the same time, men would get that that liberty in so far as uh, they would be able to raise the children in the way that they see is best. Because if if a man has children and you say you're a free man, you can do whatever you want, he's probably going to want to be with his children. But that's his choice. So. Um, so, yeah, I think that it it would work out. And I think that's the interesting thing about it is that uh, if men and women came together, they would actually have, they have what the other wants, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Given the like, proper social structure, which yes, we probably yes. arguably don't have right now. No, I think that things are really eroded between men and women. So mm -hmm. I, I think that that's what we need to work on. We need to repair mm -hmm. and build the bridges mm -hmm. between men and women again. Um, and we need to help them without, you know, uh, we want to help them uh, better understand their story, if that makes sense. Like the story, what is the story of man? What is the story of woman? Can we, can we understand that? And we can do this without restricting anyone. This is why I was a little bit hesitant because I don't want to say women have to act this way or men have to yeah, act yeah, this yeah. way. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we will always have to make an exception for the exception so they don't think we're trying yes. to rule over them. Yeah, Right. Although I believe that there have all, and this is just my, I, I believe there have always been exceptions and most of the time <laughs> they just did what they wanted. Like, you know, you hear about Mary Curie all the time mm -hmm. and um you know, I'm grateful for the work that Mary Curie did, but yeah, I don't I think that any glowy was, stars. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think that um, if there was men standing in her way and telling her she can't do that, it didn't appear to work. So I don't really see why this is an issue to talk about. Like there have always been hmm. people who have basically said, "I'm going to do this," and I'm going to yeah. be the weirdo. And yeah. um, they they may have had some pushback from people who were like, I don't like that. This is not the status quo, but it doesn't seem to matter because they went and did it anyway. And it's only mm -hmm. because of people like that, like your Teslas and your and your uh, 
um, Newton and your Mary Curie or the woman who flew in the airplane. I don't remember her name. Elon um, Musk. No. <laughs> Amelia. Amelia Earhart. Earhart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there have always been people like that. So, uh, you know, it's okay. I mean, that we've always made room for them in the past. I, I, don't, I don't really think it's yeah. a big deal to ask or to talk about what is best for us in general and also include and, mm-hmm. and you know, make room for people who are going to just do what they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, since this is your interview. Yeah. Do you have any questions for me? <laughs> Before um, we kind of wrap it up, we're, we're almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to go to the. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, OK, so I want to see if I got through all the things that I wanted to say. Um, do you. Good stuff, though. Well, thank you. I hope that I gave you some things to think about. I feel exposed. Um, No, it's all right. Do you believe that... Does it make you uncomfortable to talk about men's issues? Because you... And I'm not... I'm just wondering. Mm -hmm. Because when Mm -hmm. I talk to people Mm -hmm. about men's issues, they always feel like they need to start by saying something like, oh, well, you know, before we start, I don't hate women or anything. You know, like, is it, is mm-hmm. it, is it, um, do you mm-hmm. think that it's possible that we can talk about men's issues without having to stop mm-hmm. every five minutes to say, look, you know, this isn't oh. against women yeah, or, or feminism for that matter? Yeah, I, I think that I am on my way to, and part of the reason we're even speaking is because uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but. I said something to the fact that I wasn't necessarily interested in covering men's issues because I have been treating oh, for over two, two and a half years now. I've been doing a series on gender, sexuality and transition. And I kind of there's kind of this big gap of men's issues. I haven't really covered it. Right. Uh, I, I kind of have, but I can't kind of haven't because I have always been kind of uh, perturbed or put off by feminism. And so I've gone on this really kind of this, I think, rather robust excursion into feminism and met a lot of uh, people and learned a lot of different things about a lot of the different nuances within all the different types of feminism that's going on. And to some degree, it's been consistently brought up, why don't I talk to men? Why don't I talk about men? Why don't I cover these issues? And I have before, but I was just, I was kind of in a position, well, I'm kind of a man. I think it would be much more interesting, kind of like uh, the Honey Badger Radio ladies. Mm-hmm. Like, it's actually, it might be more interesting for them to talk about men than it is to, for them to talk about women. Maybe, I don't know. But for me, it's kind of more interesting to talk about women or to talk to women about women and to investigate women's issues from that side and to get a range of conservative to liberal to radical to libertarian views to even maybe even, I haven't had a trad on yet. I need to get a trad mm-hmm. woman on. Uh, a to trad really woman? Understand a trad woman. Trad fem? What are they called? Trad cons? Oh, I don't know. Uh, the don't trad cons? Yeah. Trad traditionalist conservatives? Yeah, I guess so. Well, anyways, I haven't gone there. So there's a lot of mapping out. Anyways, long and the short of it is, I think that there is a stigma around men's rights activism being either MGTOW, incel, or there's something, I really apologize to your audience, there's something that mm-hmm. seemed kind of a little pathetic about me complaining about being a man uh, yeah. i just that's I, the, I, that's, the pa- that's the paradox yeah. you're yeah. pointing out the paradox 
because men, so femininity is best described, a lot of people talk about what it is, but femininity and masculinity are probably best described as femininity is your ability to recognize how you are affected by the world, how you are impacted by things. And masculinity is recognizing the ways in which you impact things. Now, this doesn't mean that only men, you know, men have a feminine side, women have a masculine side, right? But in general, women tend to evaluate or see their world as how they are affected by it. You know, if and ever, over the long term as well, too. Yes. Like having they, a, a sense if, of... If they're, if they're invested in the future, like if they have children, they look further out, right? If they don't, mm-hmm. then they might be a little bit more immediate. Um, and men are concerned with how they affect the world. So uh, in general, but they both share these traits. So like when you talk to a man about men's issues, you're trying to tell them this is how you are affected, by the world. And men tend to be repulsed by that because when you tell them they're affected by something, you they sort of see it as something they can't do anything about. And men don't like the idea that there are things happening to them that they can't control, or that they can't prevent. And so they tend to find it weak, right? And pathetic, like you said. So mm. it's hard because you're trying to sell, um, and not victimhood, I don't like that word, but you're trying to sell the ways in which men can be made vulnerable to men who don't want to see it because it's painful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like trying to do the opposite for women to say, look, ladies, these, these are the ways in which your actions impact the greater world. These are the ways that you harm you know, the people around you or whatever. It's not just about you. They will become upset by that because um, they it's it's not all of them, obviously. But I think in general, this is the way hmm. men and women respond to this. So if you look at masculinity as, um, you know, how my actions impact everything and I tell you you're being impacted by something right now and it's not your doing, then you're going to say, well, I no, I don't like that because then I can't change it, you know. Mm-hmm. So think about it another way. Have you ever seen the uh, the really funny, uh, I think it was like an ad, and there was a woman with a nail in her forehead? Yeah, and I was she, just watching it the other day. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. And, and she's like, it's yeah. not about the nail? Well, yeah, it, the man wants to just fix it. That's the way men are. They just want to fix problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you tell them they're experiencing a problem, but that the solution is not within their reach alone, that they rather they have to advocate, they have to talk to people and, and all of that, they're going to find it a little bit repulsive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that most of my work with regards to men's issue is issues or to masculinity is done implicitly by the way that I behave, um, mm-hmm. the way that I treat other people, the way that I um, try to regulate my humor and my flirtation, my curiosity, and my intelligence to make a good kind of well-rounded uh, image of a man. I think it's very implicit to do a series, which is this is a part of a sub-series of a series on gender, to explore masculinity. It took me a while to say, well, how do I confront that head on? And it was great to talk with you. Uh, you're very reasonable. You put it out there. It wasn't pathetic at all. You're not pitiable, um, and you didn't you didn't paint a pitiable picture. Uh, you outlined some very uh, definite uh, requirements, needs, and, and uh, 
factors that are going on right now. Uh, yeah. Well, painting men as victims won't work. Um, it, it not only is it not effective on men, it's not effective on women either. Doing it for women is a lot more effective because we we love women. We care about them. We want mm -hmm. them to be comfortable. So if we tell yeah. the world women are suffering, everyone stands up. What can I do? But if we tell yeah. the world men are suffering, uh, it doesn't work as well. And men don't want to hear it either. But what yeah. we can do is we can talk about boys. Because that, you know, that, and that's, that's what I try to do. I think that starting with men is also starting in the middle anyway. We have to start with boys. Okay. So. Yeah. You start with the circumcision. I guess that that's your entry point. That's where, that's where you start yeah. your play. Yeah. Right at the beginning. I mean, yeah, there, you can even go before that in a way like uh, when a woman is, uh, when a woman discovers she's pregnant, the rights of the father are basically non-existent like whether or not she yeah. decides to have the child or have an abortion it's at her discretion all the way to birth but um i mean you could always you could start there too but i think that yeah. people tend to be more responsive when you talk about uh infant boys and young mm -hmm. young boys mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so what, what's going forward from now what do you guys have lined up uh, just pretending that we're on my channel now, what can we plug for you guys? What Do you have something oh, awesome coming down? I, the I, on, on my channel, uh, Badger Livestreams is mm -hmm. where I do most of the content. It's live. Uh, we um, basically have like an ongoing series of shows where we talk about the news of the day and we and we try to relate it to gender because, you know, like I when I was talking to you about the death of DMX and uh, George yeah. Floyd, I'm I'm trying to say, you know, here's what the left says about the George Floyd situation. Here's what the right says about the George Floyd situation. Here's our angle on the George Floyd situation. You don't want any George Floyds? Then we have to go all the way to hmm. way before we knew his name, when he was a child, maybe even when he was in his mother's womb, to talk about what that boy needed so that he would not end up um, in this situation today. And... Hmm. Um, so yeah, we, we talk, uh, we have a regular news show every Tuesday. It's called HBR news. Uh, we also have several talks. I think that your audience, if they want to hear the ladies, um, they might be interested in checking out HBR talk, which is every Thursday at seven where mm -hmm. uh, they will discuss, they'll dig deep into a topic. It could be circumcision. It could be dating. It could be, um, you know, uh, feminism or the tactics that are typically employed and how we differentiate ourselves, you know? Um, and I, I also have a series that I'm doing on Fridays, every other Friday. It's called Brian's Badger Lodge. And it's basically, I let men call in and it's a show for men exclusively so that men oh. can talk to each other. Because one of the things that I think is vitally important, as much as it is, you know, great uh, stuff for us to talk about, um, for us to talk about uh, these issues, and the the importance of them, I also think what I think is really important, and I've seen this happening a lot lately, um, is male fraternity needs to come back. So what we need is men to get together with other men, because yeah. one of the other things that, you know, we, I talk about how feminism and Me Too and stuff has sort of divided men and women and created a lot of distrust and fear and anxiety between them, because, of course, women fear men are going to rape them and men fear that women are going to accuse them and make them lose their jobs and their livelihoods. So this mm -hmm. means that they don't want to be around each other, which creates a more hostile work environment. But it not only does that, it also creates 
a hostile environment between men and men because most men love women. So if they hear that there are men who are predatory and abusive and rapey, then those men are ready to be violent to the men that they suspect are the bad men. So you basically create uh, a different le level of, of tension. And those neither mm. of those men need to be feminists per se because men in general want to protect women. And so uh, we need to bring men together. And I think that fraternity between men is what has to happen. So that's why I do the Badger Lodge every other week. Um, are, you yeah, go willing, are you willing to divulge the hazing rituals that you uh, enact upon your uh, male audience and your lodge? <laughs> is that kind of, you have to be a part of the club to, to get in? Yeah, yeah. If you, if you don't want to, for the top. Some the light towel, ball busting, maybe. Yeah, the towel spankings, you know, the wet yeah. towel slaps. We, we do that. Before the show, so nobody has to. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But if you want to call in, you got to do that first. No, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that stuff is, um, like I said, male fraternity is very important, um, mm -hmm. and I, I have noticed that it's a growing trend. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of other men's groups that are doing this kind of thing, and yeah, yeah I, I think it's a good thing. So. So uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you guys so much for coming on today's episode of the Fireside Chat. Thank you so much for making the time to come on my channel uh, and for me to come on yours. You're welcome. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully this is the first of few. Yeah. I can get, I can get more of your honey badgers. badgers. Could you at least tell me what a honey badger is in this context? Yeah. So it's... Or should I joke. wait for one of the women? No, no, no. It's it's okay. It's an old joke. So basically, um, before I got involved, uh, there was a there's a female therapist named Tara Palmatier. Uh, she's really great. She works with men. Um, she she helps them if they've been victims of abuse, whether it's domestic violence or psychological abuse, emotional abuse, etc. And she met with um, Allison Tiemann, who runs HBR. At the time, they didn't have a name for this, right? They were just female men's rights activists. Um, yeah. Allison Tiemann, Karen Strawn, who I know that you've had on your channel before. And, she had me on hers. Yeah, or she had you on hers. And Hannah Wallen, they were the originators, right? And um, t I guess Tara Palmatier made a joke about them because there are these three women that are quite uh, disagreeable online. We you know get into lots of arguments with feminists and stuff. And Tara mm -hmm. Palmatier called them honey badgers because the honey badger is this. You know, it's based on that video, that viral video of the honey badger with the a really effeminate guy narrating. And he says, honey badger, don't give a shit. Look at him. He's, you know, and, and <laughs> it was this really funny viral video about a honey badger that, you know, is allowing itself to get stung by bees. And it's, you know, just sort of powering through. So it's this small, super tenacious animal. Yeah. And that's where the, the meme comes from. So okay. the honey badger specifically refer to all the women on the channel. I'm okay. I'm just the dog that runs. I just, it sounds kind of like a sex position. Um, so I just, <laughs> thanks for, for clearing that up. Yeah. Well, look it up on Urban Dictionary. It probably is. Um, anyway, All right, Brian. so thank you so much for coming on All right, the show. Chad. Absolutely. And I'll, yeah, I'll talk to you in the next video. We'll, and we'll have, uh, maybe you'll meet with Hannah next week. And I'll okay. set that up. All right. Yeah, we'll set that up. All right. All right. Talk to you later. See you guys. Okay. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do 
to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.